Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Please take care of yourself. Episode 198. <laughs> Bienvenidos, bitches. Buiti binafi. And thank you so much for listening. Yeah. Yeah. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and those who are othered as well as the victims, because contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cisgender, white dudes. What? And these crimes rarely get any public attention because the news is racist. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white. She's actually one of the good ones. <laughs> She's an ally and co-conspirator. Be like Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. All right. Well, who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about Maria Bonita and Lampio. Mm who are often referred to as the Brazilian Bonnie and Clyde. Mm, but why'd they have to whitewash their identities like that? Bonnie yeah. and Clyde, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. Context, I guess, so, Context, so that the, West, yeah. the Westerners can The Western can understand. world can, oh, yeah. the, the oh! Brazilian Bonnie and Clyde, I want to oh! know about that. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> So Lampiao has also been compared to the American outlaw Jesse James and the Mexican revolutionary Pancho Villa. Mm, that's what I'm talking about. And revolutionary, it really depends on who you're asking. Yeah, Revolutionary exactly. or terrorist. Exactly. It depends on who you're asking. Right. So before we get into it, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Had a good weekend. It was a Memorial Day weekend, so it was a long 
three-day weekend. Oh, yes. Yeah, very nice. Very nice. So nice. nice. Yeah. Yes. And I wanted to mention that we're taking a break and we'll be back in July. Don't worry, we'll have something in our feed for you to listen to, but uh, we need a break. (laughs) We need a break! Yeah, we do, but we'll be back. We won't be far either. We'll be be still be on the socials. You can can still DM us. You can still send us voicemails. You can still get at us. So how are you doing? Oh, well, (laughs) wonderful. My kids graduated from their respective elementary school grades. Oh, wow. And the celebration was so exciting. Yeah. And I was thinking as I was like watching my kids walk across the stage, doing their ridiculous dances and getting all these awards, (laughs) is that at one point in this country, it was illegal for black children to read. Yeah. And they couldn't go to school. It was just so exciting to think about like, you know, my kids' success and how far we've come, but also how far we have to go until everyone's free and has, you know, the freedom to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And just seeing kids like do rad stuff gives me hope for the future. Yeah. So that was yeah, cool. Yeah, for sure. So congrats to all the grads out there. Yes. Hello. <laughs> Let's do a hip hop air horn for the grads. All right, now let's get into some listener letters. Well, hello, angels. Oh. Thank you. Oh, man. What's in the bag, Beth? Well, we actually have some things in the bag today. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm starting to get embarrassing. I know. <laughs> Maybe we just take out the whole segment. <laughs> Shut down our phone number. Call at and yeah, Forget it. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to say thank you to Catherine for your email and the recommendation for the podcast Ukrainian Spaces, which sounds really interesting. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Hip Hop Airhorns. Thank you, Catherine. And thank you to Touche1981 for your five-star review. Oh, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Oh, I love it. Touche lives in Mesa, Arizona, which is where I live. So that's, that's pretty cool. Right. Shout yeah. out to Mesa. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the first Mesa resident who's no, reached out to us. So you might have a whole yeah. Mesa gang out there. A whole uh, Mesa crew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. So please send any questions or comments, too. FruitLoopsPod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294 and we may feature it on a future episode. Also join us on Patreon where we have literally hundreds of hours of bonus content and we have a video club for 12 plus patrons which we just had this last Sunday and we uh, talked about the TV show we own this city, uh-huh. which was, it was really interesting. Yes. And so join us. Yeah. And I, Beth and I will talk after this, but uh, I would really like to do that shit white people say segment on Patreon <laughs> for like the listeners to get at us with the most ridiculous things that they've heard. White people just say. Just white people say in their presence. Yeah. I'm yeah. just curious. Come at us with that. Yeah. Please, please. It would be so hilarious. All right. Well, we got a new Patreon. Uh, they're named Phoenix. And we just want to say thank you so much. Yeah, your, your thank air you. horns, Phoenix. We appreciate you and we appreciate all our patrons. This tune is for you. And Phoenix is from Arkansas. Oh. And shit, we might be cousins. I don't know. <laughs> you might be best cousins. Don't you have roots in Arkansas, too? I well, I have family in Arkansas, not really roots, but family Close that enough. live there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
what if this is your cousin? Oh my gosh. <laughs> anyway, it this, could be. who knows? <laughs> this tune is for you. All right. <clears throat> Love and Phoenix. Yeah. Thank you for your Patreon. Oh, it feels so right. Hey. Hey. Love. <laughs> Love you, Phoenix. And that's it. Hey, thank you, Phoenix. <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a quick break and then we're going to get into the story when we come back. All right. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. All right. We're back. Remind us, Ben, who's our subject today? Our subject today is the bandits Maria Bonita and Lampiao. Their legend is part of Brazilian popular culture, memorialized in song, telenovela, and film, Mm. with a similar romance and violence notoriety that Bonnie and Clyde has in the U.S. Oh, man, if the right creatives get behind this this could be this would be a really cool a blockbuster story. hit yeah i would go and rent the movie the vhs <laughs> that's how exciting it sounds so let's get into some stats all right so uh first of all we have to say that this is a historical story with lots of myths and legends yeah we did our best to sort out the truth but we may have gotten some of it wrong We also might pronounce some things wrong, and so we apologize in advance. So, Maria Bonita Applebaum, you got to put me on. (laughs) Bonita Applebaum, you got to put me on. Um, They have several AKAs. Maria's, actually, I just love all these AKAs. So, Maria Gomez de Oliveira 
a.k.a. Maria Deia, a.k.a. Maria Bonita. And she was also very beautiful, which yes. is so appropriate. And also the queen of Congasso and the dude, Lumpao, Virgulino Ferreira de Silva, a.k.a. Lumpao. And it has to do with, like, his gun. Yeah, we'll get into it. Okay. Lampao is like a light. Yeah. Loose Lampao. Okay. So, anyway, a.k.a. Capitao Virgulino, a.k.a. King of Gangaso, a.k.a. Governor of the Sertao. So, now, let's get into the setting. The setting is Brazil, which is located in the central eastern part of South America and covers an area of approximately 3.2 million square miles. Brazil is the world's fifth largest country, as well as the largest country in South America and in the Southern Hemisphere. It is also the sixth most populous country in the world. Wow. I love that. Brazil has 26 states and the largest and most populous city is Sao Paulo in southeastern Brazil. It is also the largest city in the Americas full stop. Bitches. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sao Paulo is the major cultural, financial, economic and industrial center of Brazil and the world's largest Portuguese-speaking city. Rio de Janeiro is Brazil's most famous city. Mm -hmm. So many movies. So many shows. In 1500, a fleet commanded by Portuguese diplomat Pedro Álvarez Cabral on its way to India landed in Porto Seguro between where Salvador and Rio de Janeiro now sit. They were met by the Tupinamba, or Tupi people. The Tupinamba lived along the whole eastern coast of Brazil, And the name was also applied to other Tupi-speaking groups. The Tupi hunted, fished, and gathered, but practiced agriculture as well, with both men and women working in the fields. Although ordinary Tupi social relations were marked with gentleness and cooperation, warfare between different Tupi groups was constant. In colonizing the country, the Portuguese exploited the state of conflict. Local Tupi groups forged alliances with the Europeans in order to gain the upper hand against their enemies. The Portuguese then enslaved, massacred, and exploited the Tupi people in many horrific ways. The Tupi did resist, but were unable to join together as a cohesive group to fight the Portuguese. They were also plagued by European diseases. And this is just like <laughs> it, yeah. the oh, European greatest over hits. Over and over yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> Play that track number six, the disease yeah. one. European diseases. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And by the mid-17th century, the coastal Tupinamba no longer existed as an independent indigenous society. But their influence on Brazilian culture remains, including the language, Brazilian Portuguese. Many of the most prominent Tupi words used in Brazil are place names, such as towns and rivers. Of Brazil's 26 states, 13 have names which originate from Tupi. Many of the names of fruits, foods, plants, and animals used today in Brazil are Tupi words. The Amazon in Brazil is the world's largest tropical rainforest. It is drained by the huge Amazon River and its tributaries, of which there are more than 200. Mm. More than a dozen of these tributaries are on the longest rivers of the world list. That's nuts. Wow. Yeah. Put some respect on those tributaries' names. (laughs) So when people in the U.S. think of Brazil, they often think of the Amazon and water and vast tropical rainforests. But that's not the only biome in Brazil. Northeastern Brazil is known for its aridness and hard way of life. The Caatinga of Northeast Brazil is South America's largest seasonal dry tropical forest. Caatinga is a Tupi word meaning white forest. Oh, 
I love it. Ooh. Yeah. The Katinga is a thorn forest, which consists primarily of small thorny trees that shed their leaves seasonally, plus cacti and scrub vegetation. There's very little water. The Katinga is the only exclusively Brazilian biome, which means that a large part of its biological heritage cannot be found anywhere else on the planet. The weather there is the most brutal in the country. That is so interesting. Yeah. The Katinga is part of the Sertao, or backcountry, a term which is similar to the Canadian bush, the U.S. backwoods, or the Australian outback. It refers to the rural backlands away from the coastal metropolitan regions where the Portuguese first settled in South America in the early 16th century. Its borders are not precise and refers to the Brazilian backcountry in general. It is an economically poor region that is well known in Brazilian culture. People who live in the Sertão are sometimes called sertanejos. Home to Brazilian cowboys, the Sertão has a rich history and folklore similar to America's Wild West. The term Sertão also corresponds to Sertão music or música sertaneja, which roughly translates to country music. When Brazil was being colonized, most people settled in the coastal areas and few ventured into the interior. A Brazilian historian once referred to colonial life in Brazil as a civilization of crabs, hmm. since most settlers clung to the shoreline. I thought that was a really funny image. <laughs> yeah, um kind of sounds like an insult, is it? It does, yeah. Yeah. Uh, most settlers clung to the shoreline with few trying to make inroads into the Sertão. Towards the end of the 19th century, deep poverty and oppression of the rural Sertão population, who had very little prospects for the future, led to the formation of banditry. During this time, the roads in the Sertão were cattle trails and telegraph lines were almost non-existent. Travel was on foot, horseback or donkey. There were very few schools and most people received nothing but a rudimentary education. Coronelismo, also known as the rule of the colonels, concentrated wealth in the hands of landholders and coronets, or local political bosses, often one in the same. This left the majority of the population in the margins of society. They're already dividing up yep. people. Yep. Coronets ruled with impunity. The police were corrupt, and the coronets elected, deposed, persecuted, condemned, acquitted, tortured, and another thing, killed whoever <laughs> they wanted, while most sertanejos subsisted on a meager economy that relied on cattle ranching and, when conditions were favorable, cash crops. They had to adapt to a harsh environment, both environmentally and economically, becoming a national symbol of resilience. Small farmers often lived in a constant state of despair and destitution. There was a code of Sertão, founded on definitions of masculinity that encouraged acts of retaliation. Quote-unquote, honorable men were supposed to provide for their families and protect their property, even if it called for resorting to violence. Disputes of ownership of small plots of land were a major trigger of violence in the Sertão. Corrupt and unreliable legal systems meant that the Sertanejos often had to fight to maintain their small farms and ranches. The Sertão's Code of Honor was the region's de facto legal system and pushed many young men to join the Congasso. The Congasso were bands of poor peasants who roamed in groups. Between the 1870s and the 1930s, these organized nomadic bandits flourished in the Sertão 
Prolonged droughts led poverty-stricken Sertanejos to roam in search for better chances to survive. And eventually they gathered together in groups and did what they had to do in order to survive. The individuals in the Congasso were referred to as Congaceros. Congacero was a derogatory term, meaning a person who could not or would not conform or assimilate to the mainstream coastal lifestyle. This is so unrelated, but like sometimes I imagine myself as like a little comic book character. Uh And in the comic book scene, I'm like straining so hard. And everybody like everybody around me is like, what are you doing, Wendy? And I'm like, I'm trying to assimilate. (laughs) (laughs) It's so hard, though. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so Congasso became a way of life for some. Crime became a long term activity and a career for many men. Congaceros are a popular Brazilian subject of regional literature, music, and art. Lampao was the most famous congacero of them all, and his right-hand woman was Maria Bonita. The men, and later women, who became congaceros did so for money, food, and revenge. The women, called congaceras, were as tough or even tougher than the men, and were also well-armed and trained in the use of weapons. (laughs) Netflix, hello. Uh, (laughs) Congaceros wore leather clothing and hats to protect themselves from the thorny plants and harsh sun. They carried carbines, revolvers, shotguns, and a long, narrow knife known as the peixeira. They plundered cities, fazendas, which are estates or large farms, and army bases. I mean, they clearly had extra anyway, so. Yeah. Is it really plundering? Come on. (laughs) The Congasso reflected a breakdown of traditional authority in the Sertão and represented a challenge to the unscrupulous Coronés in a form of social banditry against the government. Social banditry is a type of class struggle and class resistance, usually in pre-industrial and frontier societies. They're often seen by ordinary people as heroes. We're just ordinary people. (laughs) We're just heroes. So Robin Hood is an example of this phenomenon. And I love Robin Hood. I mean, yeah. the idea of robbing from the rich and, to the or stealing from the rich and giving to the yeah. poor. Hello. The targets were wealthy landowners. Most of the population had nothing that the Congasso wanted. And the Congaceros actually had some level of support among the poorest populations. Coiteiros, or people who helped the Congaceros, gave them shelter and food. The congaceros performed acts of charity and bought goods for higher than usual prices from small shopkeepers. They threw parties with music and plenty of cachaça, or Brazilian rum. Mmm, that sounds so (laughs) yummy. But it wasn't all just fun and games. Sometimes the congasso worked with competing coronés, crossing states and attacking towns. The Congasso looted, murdered, and raped people. In the event of betrayal or ratting out to the police, snitches got stitches, and the Conaceros were merciless. Coiteros who betrayed their trust would be maimed or killed in order to set an example. The Peixera, up to 30 inches in length, was used in a very specific way to kill quickly. It was driven with a sharp blow into the area between the neck and the collarbone. Whoa! The sharp blade sliced through flesh, severed arteries, punctured the lung, pierced the heart, and when it was withdrawn, 
produced a spectacular spurt of blood. Spectacular spurt spectacular. of blood. Yeah. I just found my new favorite phrase. Favorite <laughs> phrase. Spectacular <laughs> spurt of blood. <laughs> I love the sound of that. Mm. I'm a sick fuck, but let's move on. When they didn't kill, they wounded or mutilated, leaving visible scars to serve as an example. They drew deep wounds in the shape of a cross on men's foreheads with a knife and branded the faces of women with a hot iron. There are stories of brutal rapes and castrations. They also introduced large-scale kidnapping in Brazil. They took hostages in exchange for money, and if they did not receive ransom, they tortured and killed the victims. Extortion was another source of income. They sent letters in which they demanded money to not invade cities. <laughs> That's a <Wow>. good one. <laughs> I like <Wow>. that one. <laughs> Pay me to not do something. Yeah. <laughs> wow. The 1920s and 30s saw the height of Congasho activity, with the most prominent bands numbering up to as many as 100 but increased political centralization and policing led to their demise by the end of the 1930s. So let's get into the early lives of Maria Bonita and Lampao. All right. Well, Virgilino Ferreira da Silva, popularly known as Lampio, was born on July 7, 1897 in the northeastern state of Pernambuco, the son of modest farmer and rancher Jose Ferreira and Maria Salina da Purificacio. Virgulino grew up listening to and witnessing stories of cangaceros. Although very intelligent, Virgulino had to leave school to help the family in planting their fields and raising their cattle. He liked to dance, to play accordion, to write verses, and he competed in rodeo events. He knew how to sew very well in cloth and leather, and he made his own clothes. As Virgulino grew up, his family got entangled in local feuds. After a series of hostilities between the Ferreira family and the neighboring Santernino family, Jose Ferreira was killed by a police sergeant during a raid on his home in 1920. Fergalino swore revenge, and that same year he and his three brothers, Ezequiel, Lovino, and Antonio, joined a group of congaceros led by Sebastião Pereira e Silva, a.k.a. Sinho Pereira. It was Sino Pereira who gave Virgulino the nickname Lampiao, meaning lantern, reportedly because Virgulino modified his rifle to shoot faster. So the muzzle flash was continuous and gave off a glow like a lantern, like a light, ay, like a light, ay. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm stop. <laughs> That's a pretty cool uh, backstory. <laughs> I love, I love, like, I am laying down sleepover style waiting for the rest of the story. Mom, can you give us more snacks? This is so great. Pop the popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> Maria Gomez de Oliveira, a.k.a. Maria Dea, was born on March 8, 1911, the daughter of Jose Gomez de Oliveira and Maria Joaquina de Concesio. Born into primitive circumstances, in the most impoverished region of Brazil, she spent her early years with her family just scraping by. She was raised in the village of Malada de Caixara, near the town of Santa Brigida in the state of Bahia. It is a rural farming community that produces corn, beans, watermelon, and cucumber. Mm. <laughs> At the age of 15, Maria was married off to her cousin, Ugh. Jose Nenem, <laughs> a cobbler 
The couple fought frequently, and Maria would often move back home with her parents. Jose and Maria had no children. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Something is introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy and you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. So now let's dive into the timeline. Splish, splash, hit it, Beth! Lampio became the leader of Sinho Pereira's group in 1922 when Sinho Pereira left the Congasso and Lampio achieved notoriety after a bold assault on the mansion of a wealthy baroness. Whoa! His band became legendary for their cruelty and ferocity. They usually numbered around 40 to 50 men, but would fight battles against hundreds of special police, known as volantes. Until 1940, as part of the military police, volantes were used in the rural, feudal regions in northeastern Brazil. Lampio called them monkeys because they wore brown uniforms, took orders, and, quote, jumped when they saw cancaceros, unquote. (laughs) (laughs) The volantes were frequently brutal to small farmers and villagers, so, you know, everybody hated them. Mmm, and sounds like uh, it was kind of (laughs) justified. Yeah, yeah. The cangaceiros used typical guerrilla tactics, preferring quick and ferocious attacks, which surprised the volantes. Oh, I'm startled. (laughs) They also had no qualms about running away when they were cornered. Run away! (laughs) Run away! (laughs) The, uh, The bands were broken up into smaller groups to ensure the mobility needed to carry out surprise attacks and to retreat in dangerous situations. Sneak attack! (laughs) (laughs) So they were pretty smart about how they uh, fought the volantes. I know, right? Like, wow, the strategy and thought involved in these attacks. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of traveling on horseback along roads and trails known to the police, they covered long distances on foot through the Catinga, preferably at night. All of the congaceros' belongings were carried on their bodies. They almost never took prisoners in combat because this would hamper their ability to move quickly. I think they just killed everybody. 
Aha. Uh-huh. Wow. From the beginning, Lampiao, who had an innate sense of propaganda, is internet savvy before the internet ever came around, <laughs> understood the potential of a, quote, image war, end quote. Knowing the code in the Sertao, he justified his life as an outlaw as vengeance for the death of his father. Oh, my God. Plus a dead parrot backstory. <laughs> I need this movie. <laughs> this has been referred to by more than one scholar as his alibi for banditry. He dramatized his life and used modern means of communication that were not part of his culture, such as the press and photographs. He would summon reporters to write about him. He gave away souvenirs to the local population, such as postcards with images of him and his band. Wow. wow. I, you love to see it. And by love to see it, I mean, I really love to see it. That's amazing. <laughs> so according to French-Brazilian scholar Elise Grunspan Jasmine, quote, he was a manipulator, a strategist gifted with a notable sense of communication that was surprising for the time, unquote. Lampiao transmuted the cangasso way of life into a lucrative and glamorous profession and a means of acquiring wealth, notoriety, and respect. In 1926, he was invited to join the Patriotic Battalions, formed to fight against wandering revolutionaries, and was promised the rank of captain. He did not participate for very long until he reverted back to outlawry, but he kept the name Capitao Virgilino, Captain Virgilino which he preferred over Lampiao. Oh, interesting. In March of that year, he was entering the town of Juazeiro with 49 outlaws. He was received like a hero by a crowd of 4,000 people to whom he distributed autographs. Wow. I I know he did really bad (laughs) stuff, but wow. (laughs) Um, In a tone of defiance and mockery, he sent a letter to the governor of Pernambuco, Julio de Melo proposing the division of the state into two parts. Julio de Melo would rule one, and Lampiao, self-proclaimed governor of Sertao, would rule the other. (laughs) The audacity. I got a proposition for (laughs) you. And it really pissed off the state and local politicians that he was getting so much attention and that he seemed to have so much prestige and power. They doubled down on trying to catch him, but it wasn't easy. He knew the countryside, he had spies, and he had friends. The ability to outwit his pursuers earned him the reputation of possessing supernatural powers. <laughs> oh, man. A supernatural powers, spectacular blood squirting. Wow. <laughs> this episode just keeps giving. Your, I'm your sorry. favorite story. I can't. I can't get over this. And most of the volantes were not exactly super enthusiastic about the possibility of getting ambushed in the Sertao. <laughs> An excellent strategist, Lampion distinguished himself by his bravery in fights with the Volantes, as in 1927 in Riacho de Sengue, when Lampion's 50 men were surrounded by 400 Volantes. The shooting was raging and a Volante victory was imminent. Lampion ordered a ceasefire and complete silence. The Volantes moved forward and when they got close were met with heavy fire. Surprised, they retreated. <laughs> that is so bitch. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys got played so hard. That is so funny. So people admired Lampiao, and they still do. But his legacy is complicated. Researcher Amari Correa de Araujo 
author of seven books about the Congasso, said, quote, Lampiao was neither a demon nor a hero. He was a gangaseiro, unquote. It has been reported that he and his men wiped out whole families of his enemies, and he would assault small towns and cities alike, killing the poor as well as the wealthy, asking local merchants for contributions, and seizing any goods he could carry off. But no exchange for, like, protection. See, that is kind of icky, where he's just taking yeah. and not really giving giving back. Giving back, giving yeah. Back? Uh, he, I think he, he did give back sometimes, but other times he didn't, you know? It was just mm-hmm. like, what does he feel like doing today, you know? Ah, uh, oh, that's not a good leader. That's not leadership. <laughs> so sexual, <laughs> sexual assault and violence towards women was common. Mostly, these women were associated with the police and or any opposing faction. Incidents of Lampao digging out a man's eyeballs with a oh knife my God. and cutting off a woman's tongue have also been substantiated. Yikes. Oh, that took the breath out of me. Yeah. Wow. When their victims fulfilled the demands he made, there was a celebration. If they refused, violence and torture inevitably followed. But accounts by former group members highlighted that except for the sporadic violence and combat against the volantes, they had a lot of leisure time. Money was not an issue and music was common since many members could play an instrument or sing. They also played cards and took time to work on ornamenting their clothing. Around 1930, when Maria Dia was about 20 years old, Lampio and his band passed through the area of Malada de Casera. According to the legend, Lampio discovered that Maria was a lace maker, and he asked her to make some handkerchiefs. It is said that it was a love at first sight, and they began a passionate romance. Impressed by her beauty, Lampao began to call her Maria Bonita. Pretty Maria for you English speakers. <laughs> at the end of 10 days, Maria put her clothes into two bindles, said goodbye to her husband forever, Goodbye, husband. <laughs> Hugged her relatives and left with Lampao. <laughs> Although she was still married but estranged from her husband, Jose, Maria became Lampio's common-law wife. The band traveled the Sarteo on horseback, wearing leather outfits, which included hats, jackets, sandals, ammunition belts, and trousers to protect them from the desert plants in the region. You know, part of me was thinking about critters. Oh, yeah. You know, Brazil is also famous for like critters, snakes, frogs, lots of stuff that could kill you. Yeah, so I guess leather would help with that, too. Aha! Okay, thank you, friend. (laughs) Uh, Maria Maria dressed like the gangaceiros and participated in many of their actions. The other gangaceiros respected her, referring to her as Dona Maria, Maria de Lampiao, or Maria do Capitao, meaning Captain's Maria. She was reportedly the first woman to officially join the Congasso. Before her, other Congaceros had wives and children, but they did not live with them. But after Maria joined, other women also became Congaceros. Maria, Maria, she remind me of the Congaceros. <laughs> Growing up in Brazil. <laughs> she living a life just like a movie star. Oh. <laughs> Maria, Maria, stop me anytime. Maria, Maria. uh, 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 uh. Although Maria followed Lampiao on her own volition, this was not the case with all the cangaceiras. Some were kidnapped by their partners, 
sometimes as an act of revenge against the honor of men in their families. For example, Sergia Ribeiro da Silva, a.k.a. Dada, was taken from her family as a teenager, but she later claimed to have developed a profound devotion to her husband, Corisco. Although some women were forced into the congasso, others turned to the congasso as an alternative to a boring, strenuous life. There must be more than this provincial life. <laughs> Unlike the laborious life of mother and housewife on an impoverished subsistence farm, which sounds awful, mm -hmm. <laughs> the Congasetta's occupation was to be the companion of a warrior. Although most did not fight in combat, some did, and many carried weapons and were ready to shoot. Apart from Lampiao and Maria Bonita, the most famous Congaso couples were Corisco and Dada, Gato and Inasina, Moita Brava and Sebastiana, Jose Sereno and Sila, La Bareda and Maria, Jose Bayano and Lidia, and Luis Pedro and Nenem. The lives of the women were difficult. Carrying pregnancies to term in the discomfort of the Katinga meant suffering, and they sometimes had to flee shortly after giving birth in order to escape the Vilantes. And that sounds horrible. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Yeah. I mean, I gave birth twice mm -hmm. and in, you know, decent circumstances. Huh? Yeah. I can't imagine being out in the desert. Yeah. Having to give birth out in the desert. That would and, be horrible. Yeah, and then pack it up and leave real quick. But, yeah. Just, Get the hell out. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. somebody's coming to kill you. <laughs> mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> yep. That's definitely something we did not have to deal with. Here. No, no. Uh, so an infidelity by women was punishable by death. Gangaseiro Zebaya killed his wife Lydia with a club when he found out that she had cheated on him with another Gangaseiro. When Moita Brava cut his companion, Lily, with another man, he murdered her with six shots at point-blank range. Wow. But it wasn't the same the other way around. Men could do whatever they wanted, you know. Of course they yeah. could. Yeah. <laughs> But the distribution of work was surprising. Before the women joined, the men took turns cooking and washing up. And after the women joined, they continued to do so. There are several accounts of women being served by their partners. And Maria Bonita was considered spoiled by Lampio. The addition of cangaceiras seemed to civilize the bandits somewhat, increasing their level of caution and limiting the excesses of their abuse. The cangaceros became more tolerant and less nomadic, avoiding combat for new means of acquiring money, like intimidation. Yeah, like, <laughs> guys, we got a great new business plan. <laughs> I'd hate for something to happen to your little town here. <laughs> Where's my spittoon? <laughs> now, you might expect that fugitive outlaws would want to dress inconspicuously, mm. but not cangaceros. Oh. They adopted a flamboyant attire covered in colorful embroidered flower motifs silk scarves and jewelry, Ooh. and the patterns and ornaments that covered the surface of the Congaceros apparel became even more abundant after the entrance of women into the band. I love this. I love flashy yeah. when it's not necessary. I just, <laughs> and I, ooh, put them on the cover of some magazine somewhere. I will, oh, mm, it sounds fabulous. The cangaceiro outfit developed from clothing and objects commonly used by certanejos, which they transformed. 
The hides of cows, deers, and goats were used to make hats, sandals, belts, and other objects that the cangaceros decorated with eyelets and carved patterns with bright color combinations. What's an eyelet? Uh, they're like little holes. What? Like for buttons? <laughs> uh, no, you know, have you ever seen like a piece of leather that's got holes cut in it in a decorative pattern? Those are called eyelids. Oh, oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> what would I do without you? <laughs> As we mentioned, Lampion knew how to sew and was used to making his own clothes. It was out of necessity because of the economical situation in the Certeo. And such skills were part of the Certeneo masculine identity. That's interesting. The other men were also accustomed to making clothes in all sorts of leather and fabric objects without having their virility questioned. Just a little culture corner. Um, from what I remember in my studies about Latin America, is that Latin A and that part of the world, our masculinity is different than here in the than United here. States, right? Yeah. Like I'm thinking of like a bullfighter, just the flamboyance and flashiness mm -hmm. of that style and how like decorative and tight fitting their clothes are when they're doing this act of fighting this giant animal, yeah. right? I just think that is uh, very interesting. interesting. You noted yeah. it, and I noted it, and I think it's important. Yeah. By the way, uh, Spain is Europe, not necessarily Latin America, but um, I'm making a, maybe a loose connection there. But anyway, don't fact check me. What do I know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, the Kanga Sato outfit created a whole new set of aesthetic values that forever transformed the Kanga Sato image. Under Lampiao's leadership, the embellishment of the group's apparel intensified to extravagance. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Sets of two to four shoulder bags known as bornets were shoulder worn. pads! Bags, Woo! bags. Oh, <laughs> two to four shoulder pads. Oh, <laughs> that would wow. Where are you going to put the other two? You got I two on your know. shoulder, the double decker shoulder pads. I, I was picturing like stacked, stacked, like stacked shoulder pads. Stacked shoulder. Oh, I was like, no, wow. No. Okay. <laughs> that is extra. That is a little extravagant. <laughs> No, shoulder oh. bags. So okay. they, they would uh, be worn diagonally across the body. So they're like body bags, you know? Oh. Like uh, men sometimes wear today. Like satchels. Yeah. Aha. Uh -huh. But they're meant to be worn. Mm -hmm. They don't just have straps on them. Oh. You like belt them to your body. And oh. they're used to carry food, clothes, money, and other small items because they carry all their stuff with them. So, right, right. Yeah. Their surfaces were almost entirely covered with colorful embroidered flower motifs, zigzags, and other geometric figures. I'm just thinking of an, a fashion idea that brings me so much joy shoulder pads that you can store things in. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> New merch <laughs> coming this fall. <laughs> you could make shoulder pads and, and ones that go on your arms. So it looks like Ooh, you have these giant shoulders and muscles. big, big Ooh. muscles. <laughs> Nobody is saying no to me with those things on. Wow. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Covered in flowers, of course. <laughs> of course. They have to, they have to look good, but the functionality of, 
shoulder pads that you can stuff things inside. Come on now. <laughs> um, but the most memorable accoutrement was the congasso hat. The traditional Sertanejo leather hat is a dome-shaped covering with a brim that is turned upwards in the front and back. The Cangaceiro's version had much longer brims measuring from five to almost eight inches. Okay, some, <laughs> some style. <laughs> With the brims turned up, the hat made a half moon shape. Oh my God, the drip, these looks. I, oh, it is giving me so much. I just, I'm not, I'm just imagine. I have not seen a picture. Oh, you haven't? I mean, I guess I have, but I didn't pay attention to the picture. I was more picture, interested yeah. in the stories and the words. Right, right. But this is blowing my imagination. I, my you, my brain is on 10 right now. This is yeah. so exciting hearing you about gotta, it. Yeah, you got to look at the pictures because they're, they're very distinctive, their outfits. Yeah. The oversized turned up brim functioned as a sort of blank canvas for the placement of objects on the front and back of the hat. Metal tokens were attached, which included fleur-de-lis, Maltese crosses, and multiple interpretations of stars, sometimes enclosed by a circle. Tassels, little pieces of gold, coins, and all sorts of small metallic objects were attached to the hat, even to interior surfaces. By the time of his death, Lampiao's hat was covered with 55 golden trinkets. Wow, wow that's a lot of flair. <laughs> the hat became the most noticeable attribute of the congasso and an identifier. So much so that when a cangasero wanted to go unnoticed, the hat was the first thing he would take off. Makes Ooh. sense. Yeah. Yeah. The patterns and ornaments that covered the surface of the cangasero's apparel were rich in talismanic connotations. The stars that were placed on the hats were to protect the bearer from the evil eye. Gold, applied all over clothing, was supposed to be a powerful talisman. Objects from the Catholic tradition, like crucifixes, were used as amulets. Lampiao always wore a crucifix stolen from the Baroness of Agua Branca, his first significant assault. Small bags were worn around the neck, which contained invocations written on pieces of paper, known in Brazil Portuguese as strong prayers. Metal tokens inscribed with sayings such as longing, love, mother love, remembrance, and friendship were attached to hats and other surfaces. Some have described a concasero outfit as a sort of mystical armor. Oh, so maybe I shouldn't take down that love, live, family, laugh poster <laughs> in my kitchen. <laughs> mystical armor! <laughs> Uh, soon, soon after. Yeah, that's a dream. <laughs> Live, laugh, love. I wish. <laughs> oh my! So soon after going to live with Lampiao, Maria Bonita became pregnant, but had a miscarriage. This would not be the only child she would lose. In 1932, however, she gave birth in the shadow of an umbuzeiro tree in the middle of Caatinga. Lampao delivered the baby. Wow. Yeah. The child was a little girl who they named Expedita. But due to their unstable and violent lives, children were not allowed in the Congasso. So shortly after they were born, the babies of Congaceros were delivered to Quiteros or relatives or others who were not involved in the Congasso and could take care of them. Oh, 21 days old, Expedita was handed over to Manuel and Aurora Severo 
a quote-unquote cowboy couple that Maria and Lampau trusted. In an interview in 2000, Expedita said of Manuel and Aurora, quote, I was raised by them knowing that they were my parents, but that I had other parents, unquote. When Expedita was eight, she was given over to her uncle, Joao Ferreira, to raise. Joao was Lampio's brother, and unlike his other brothers, was never part of the Congasso. He finished raising Expedita on his farm. Except for Joao, all of Virgilino's brothers had died before him. Of Lampiao, Expedita said, quote, The memory is little, but I have it from childhood to this day. When he came home and picked me up, he hugged me. I was afraid of the clothes, of all the people that came with him, the weapons. I was afraid of everything. But he would pick me up and put me on his lap, unquote. As we mentioned earlier, Lampio was ever conscious of his image, and he catered to the press. He became one of the nation's most newsworthy figures, and the stories of his exploits went international. Worldwide, baby! Mr. Worldwide <laughs> before Pitbull! <laughs> In 1936, Lampiao allowed a Lebanese photographer named Benjamin Abrao to live for months with his band and take photographs of the Congasho. He also collected footage for a 35-millimeter documentary film. Where is it? It's out there. Yeah. Really? Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Abrajo was heavily criticized by the press at the time because he did not portray Lampeo's men as monsters, which was what President Vargas, who was systematically trying to eliminate the congaceros, wanted. Instead... Abrajo showed Lampio dancing and praying with his men. And in one scene, his hair is being combed by Maria Benita. Well, it's like we said at the top. These dudes are complicated, right? Yeah. Not all good, not necessarily all bad. Lampao and the Congasso might not be as famous today if not for Abrao's series of photographs, which are the best known photographic records of the bandits in Brazil. But the government, which saw Abrao as an enemy of the state, seized his work. A short time later, Benjamin Abrao was murdered in a case that remains unsolved to this day. (gasps) He was stabbed 42 times in the Pernambuco city of Itaba in 1938. It has been speculated that it was a political death ordered by the Vargas dictatorship. Cue Oprah meme. Are we surprised? (laughs) (laughs) On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. 
At some point, Lampao was injured and his right eye was blinded. He reportedly wore glasses to disguise the injury. But with the insistence of Maria Bonita, he went to a hospital in the city of Laranjeiras, Sergipe, to have his eye removed by an ophthalmologist. He told the doctor that he was a farmer from Pernambuco and that he, <laughs> and he spent a month in the hospital to recover. The story goes that after paying all the expenses of his hospital stay, he left the hospital, but not without leaving a message written in coal on the wall of his room, quote, Doctor, you did not operate on any farmer. The eye you took out was that of Captain Vergolino Ferreira da Silva, Lampio, unquote. Wow. <laughs> that's oh the story. My. I don't know if it's true or not, wow. but that's the story. Well, I want to believe that it's <laughs> yeah. true. And that's plenty for me. Despite having been shot nine times, Lampao survived all his injuries. Although an injury to his foot caused him to limp, he is also said to have survived poisoning and fire. Maria also survived being shot in a fight against a Pernambuco volante in the village of Serena. Reportedly, when Maria was shot, it was evident that she was losing a lot of blood. And Lampio gave the order to end the fight immediately and took Maria in his own arms to the municipality of Buic, where she was treated in a village. But in 1938, Lampao and his band were betrayed by someone who told the Volantes where the Cangaceros were camped out. On the 27th of July in 1938, the band camped at the Anguicos farm in Sergipe, a hiding place that Lampao considered to be secure. The next day at dawn on the 28th, when the Cangaceros were sleeping, the Volante crept up on them. By the time one of the congaceros sounded the alarm, it was too late. The volantes opened fire with portable machine guns, and the congaceros were trapped. The attack lasted about 20 minutes. Of the 34 congaceros present, 11 died. The rest were able to flee, but Lampao was among the first to die. Soon after, Maria Bonita was seriously injured. The volante then beheaded the dead and injured. Reportedly, Maria Bonita was still alive, although severely wounded, when she was beheaded. Oh, <gasps> yikes. Whoa! Euphoric at the victory, the Volante looted the dead. They stole all their money, gold, and jewels. Lampio's pockets were full of photographs of himself that he used to distribute to his admirers. Lampao died at the age of 41. Maria was 27. Lampiao was so infamous at the time that his death was even reported by the New York Times. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is, wow. I can't believe that. <laughs> um, so now let's get into where are they now? Tell us, Beth. Well, to ensure that the news of Lampiao's death would be believed, and as a show of power, the Volantes preserved the heads of the 11 dead in brine. And then took them to Salvador. Oh, wow. Okay, uh, okay. I don't know if I would have did that, but okay. <laughs> at, at, the, at the Institute of Legal Medicine, the heads were measured, weighed, and examined because there was a hypothesis that a normal individual would not become abandoned. However, the researchers eventually concluded that the heads were completely normal and did not show any signs of physical anomalies. Yeah, anybody can become a bandit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you, do you know people? They're terrible. We can all do it. <laughs> also, have you seen poverty? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> what lengths we will go to. <laughs> the heads were then displayed in public for over 30 years. 
in the Nina Rodriguez Museum in Salvador. And this is uh, another picture that you can find on the internet. The heads? The heads, yeah. Whoa! Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought of you when I was looking at it. I love that. Yeah, I had no idea. Firing up the Google machine I, right now. I know. <laughs> um, can we start the recording now and come back tomorrow? The families of the Congaceros fought in the courts for a long time to give a dignified burial to their relatives. Yeah, over 30 years. Mm. Finally, in 1969, their remains were released to family and buried. Expedita Ferreira, the only child of Maria and Lampao, was just five years old when her parents were killed. Although many people have claimed over the years to be children of the couple, Expedita is the only one with DNA evidence. Oh, DNA! Hello! DNA! <laughs> Does it again. Does it again. <laughs> when she was 18, she married a man named Manuel Macias Nato. The couple had four children who are the grandchildren of Maria Benito and Lampio. Expedita is now 90 years old and was still alive as of March of this year. Maria Bonita and Lampio's death signaled the end of an era. But the Cangaceiros still live on in popular folklore, books, comics, telenovelas, and movies. The Cangaceros have acquired an aura of romance and adventure that overshadows their criminal activities. And Lampao and Maria Bonita's love story made them one of the most well-known Brazilian folk heroes. All right. Oh. All right. Well, now... Uh, <laughs> I, I don't that know was so I was dramatic. Like I, was, an explosion. I was waiting for more. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> and then I scrolled down. New segment. Okay. Uh, so now we're going to get into... What we think of this story. What are your thoughts, Beth? Well, none of this would have happened if not for the poverty. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. And the corrupt system of the coronelismo and the code of the certeo, which called for violence when a man's honor was injured, was also a direct result of the economic and political situation in mm -hmm. the area. Mm -hmm. The coronés and the wealthy landowners were enemies that couldn't be relied on to help the poor. So they had to figure it out on their own. They had a problem with a neighbor. You know, they fought it out. Right, right. And the Congasso was really just a gang. And it formed for many of the same reasons that gangs form today. You know, it, poverty, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. no prospects for the future. Right. And just desperation. lack of community and safety. Yeah. The need for community yeah. and safety. Yes. And... People love these kind of stories about outlaws like Congaceros, cowboys, pirates, gangsters. Think of Robin Hood, Braveheart, Pirates of <laughs> the Caribbean, trash. even. Yeah. 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 But still, it's Braveheart is a movie I think that a lot of white people love. And it's a similar story. Poor people uh -huh. being treated like shit, uh -huh. fighting back. That's uh -huh. that's all it is. And I think a lot of white people who may not be able to relate to this story because it's happening in Brazil and the culture is different mm -hmm. and they, they dress differently. Mm -hmm. Just think of Braveheart and, okay. and you'll understand this story. Okay. Talk, talking to the white people out there. Uh, <laughs> your brethren. Yes. My <laughs> brethren. <this> <laughs> and, uh, you know, pirates of the Caribbean, you know, uh huh. people are fascinated with pirates. Yeah, yeah, you're it's right. It's fascinating because mm -hmm. it's a way of life that most people know nothing about and right. the stories are exciting. Right. But yeah. they also tend to gloss over the violence, although Braveheart didn't, but <laughs> Oh, is it really vi I've never seen it. They may take our lives, but they may never take 
freedom! <laughs> yeah, well, there there is some violent parts. Not it's not like totally the whole thing is violent, but what's his face? The main Mel Gibson. He just mm-hmm. loves him some violence. He know. sure does. Uh, <laughs> in real life and in the movies. <laughs> So the violence in this story was pretty horrific, and and mm-hmm. it is in lots of the other stories that people are mm-hmm. fascinated with: cowboys, pirates, gangsters. Yeah, the violence is always really horrific, but the stories they kind of get like squeezed out, and the, yeah, you know the the stories emerge mm-hmm. unscathed without the violence. You well, know, you know that's a really really excellent point because violence is you know sometimes people say take the meat and leave the bones right. with, a, with a thing that is complicated for you, right? right? So these stories are complicated. So you take the meat, the parts we like, and yeah, leave and the leave bones. Out. And it reminds yeah. me so much of the history of America. Oh, yeah. We leave out the violence. Yeah. And push And all forward. the shitty stuff. And the yeah. myth, the myth and the legend of it all just goes forward, right? And that's what the January 6th is. Didn't yeah. want to let go, yeah. right? So that's a great point, Beth, that we gloss over the violence and then hold on to the pretty stuff. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I just a couple things. I thought it was really interesting how Maria Bonita was, quote unquote, spoiled by her partner. Right. Um, when that wasn't the norm. And I thought it was rad how the duties were shared among yeah. the men and the women within the the band. Right. And, you know, it kind of got me thinking the U.S. is a young nation compared to Brazil or other places around the world. And Latin America has had a lot of women heads of state. Oh, wow. But the United States? Uh-uh, not, not, not one. one. <laughs> not one. Yeah. And then uh, I was thinking about the, the poet Gil Scott Heron said, the revolution will not be televised. But I sure wish this one was. Or at least <laughs> someone would make a movie about yeah. it. Because yeah. I can't. I just well, there, love there are movies point. about it, but they're all Brazilian, you know. Yeah, I know. So, I know. I know I, you want a, an American movie. Uh, yeah, or, I just, or made by Hollywood, I should say. Yeah, a Hollywoodized movie. I don't know if we'll ever get it, but I do need to go back and watch what's already out there and what's already been created. I will never grow tired of a story like this, of a revolution yeah. or revolutionary. Yeah. Oppression is nothing new in this world. And like Thomas Jefferson said in Hamilton, revolution is messy. Um, And these people are revered all throughout Latin America, which yeah. I just, it's just so fascinating. And in the eyes of the government, these people, Maria Bonita and Lumpao and the Cangaceros, were terrorists. Yeah. But those who had been harmed by those in power, I think that some people may have seen them as saviors. Yeah. But I think, you know, it begs the question, what is a terrorist? Normally, it's somebody who suffered an injustice. Right. Or someone who may have been harmed. And their pleas for fairness and humanity have gone unheard by those in power. So they fight. And then they get this nasty label. Right. And I don't know who's to say, but it is uh, just a fascinating story. And yeah. It was really fun to research. I really yeah. enjoyed researching this story. Yeah. Left. Oh, left no crumbs. <laughs> this was a delicious, <laughs> delicious, wonderful, fun story to talk about. Now let's get into <clears throat> how not to get murdered. So. If you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs) This segment is not intended to be a victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. 
This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. All right. Well, just a reminder, we're going to take a quick break for the summer, but we invite every fruity out there listening to share your tips with us on how y'all do not get murdered. <laughs> um, get, you can get at us voice message on social media. Contact us through our website. There's lots of ways. But I wanted to share an alarm. It's summertime, burglaries, home invasions, even sexual assaults go up in the summertime statistically. A friend of mine was telling me about an alarm she has, which sounds off a super loud, scary barking dog sounds. Ooh. And it's just a sensor. So if somebody walks by it, it will start barking. Start barking. Some of them have like gunshots and dog barking. Oh my God. There's a wide range of prices. I saw one as low as like $10.50. You know, depending on what works for you and your living situation. But like I said, I found one on Timu for $10. It's just a one piece solar powered round thingy. And I love it. This super loud noise and it will continue to go off until you turn it off. Oh, okay. Yeah, until a, a person like turns off the trigger. So it's continuous. It's not super high tech, but low price and might be just what you need. You know. Yeah, yeah I like it. Through the summer. All right. What's next? Oh, shout out time where we shout out any content by people of color or any marginalized or othered folks or any true crime goodies. Boy, oh boy. What do you got? Plant crime. <laughs> True crime and plants. What? I didn't even know. Vegan is this? uh... (laughs) Apparently, there is a vegetarians black market for like horticulture. Oh wow! And the podcast is called Bad Seeds, and it's about this huge black market that you've never heard of. Yeah, blooming right under our noses. Wow! About rare plants at the center of a rapidly growing and lucrative world of crime. And they talk to plant experts, buyers and sellers of these rare plants, people who are obsessed with this trade, people who are actually in the thick of it, like in the underground crime world. Again, I didn't even know this existed in it. No, I didn't either. I I love it. The other one is um, American Scandal, a podcast. The latest series is about the kids for cash scandal oh, yeah remember yeah. when judges were doing some fuckery yeah. and Dude. children paid the price for it so yeah what do you got well there's a very silly comedy on netflix called time hustler silly comedy yes. Sign me up. very silly it's a <laughs> portuguese language comedy series it has subtitles uh-huh. and it revolves around an oddball named virgily uh-huh. living in modern day sao paulo who finds himself stuck in the year 1927 as the infamous Lampio. No! <laughs> oh my God! This You've kept this in the tuck the whole time. I you did. Know how long I invoked Netflix. Make a story about this throughout this well, whole... This is, this is a very silly comedy. It's not... <laughs> this might be and just I, what I, we needed over summer break. I wouldn't say it's great. Okay. There's like a lot of fart jokes. Oh! <laughs> But it's really interesting to watch after learning what I did when researching this story, because if I'd watched this show before I researched this story, I'd be like, what the fuck is even going on here? Uh But now that I know all the backstory, Uh like he's wearing the clothes and, you know, they're 
It, yeah. So check it out. Okay. It's, it's definitely will. Very silly. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and then I wanted to shout out a podcast. It's not true crime. Well, maybe it is true crime because, well, I'll get into it. Okay. <laughs> It's called Flipping the Bird, Elon versus Twitter. Oh. And it's a wondery podcast about Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter. And it goes through the whole thing. And it's oh. even worse than we knew. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. You don't. I, wow. Um, I've heard the promo for this. Have you started listening to it? Yes. Yeah, I, I've binged the whole thing. Yeah, it's Holy good. Holy Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Also, I learned a new term this week. The What's term that? is King Baby. Is that a childish man who thinks yes. he's the boss of everything? Yep. Okay. A king baby is an emotionally stunted man who behaves as though he's a king uh-huh. and everything revolves around him and his needs. Uh-huh. And anyway, I think Elon Musk might be a king baby. I think you're right. <laughs> wow. Also, these are a lot of good ones. Okay. So we have the Bad Seeds podcast, wherever you get your podcast stuff, American Scandal podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. And then Time Hustler on Netflix, as well as another podcast, Flipping the Bird, Elon versus Twitter, wherever you get your podcasts. <gasps> oh, God. all right. Here we go. Here we go. Big girl pants. Big girl pants on. All right. Uh, that's the end of the story. Where can the people find us, Beth? Our website is FruitLoopsPod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. You can also support us by supporting our sponsors or by giving us a five-star review. Also, don't forget to subscribe, which can also help us a lot. Yeah. And five stars only, please. Uh... Yeah. Five stars only. <laughs> if you're if you're going to give us something lower than five stars, just shoot us a nasty email. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. Everybody around me is like, what are you doing, Wendy? And I'm like, I'm trying to assimilate. (laughs) Um, Where was I? Uh, Supernatural powers. (laughs) Oh, man. Supernatural powers. Spectacular blood squirting. Wow. I'm a sick fuck. But let's move on. Shoulder pads. Bags. Bags. Oh. (laughs) I just lost my place. (laughs) And I can't stop thinking about functional shoulder pads. (laughs) Anyway, where is it?
it's out there. We also might pronounce some things wrong, and so we apologize in advance. Concesio. Conceso. De Araujo. Araujo. Serena. They had to be adapt to. They had to what now? The Catan. I can't read. Bonnie and Clyde. Ugh. Where's my spittoon? <laughs> I'd hate for something to happen to your little town here. Maria Bonita Applebaum. You gotta put me on. Bonita <laughs> Applebaum. You gotta put me on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maria, Maria. She remind me of the Gangasados. <laughs> there must be more than this provincial <laughs> life. <laughs> Goodbye, husband. Can we start the recording now and come back tomorrow? <laughs> okay, bye. Right. Okay, bye. night. Right. Like a light. Hey, like a light. Hey. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm stop. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland news producer, and I am now the host of the podcast Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mahalovic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows.